0: In today's episode of the Aman Wire podcast.
1: Sayyiduna Ali was the color of like dark chocolate. This was the color of Sayyiduna Ali, who's a, he's the, he's the, he's the imam of Ahlul Bayt after, after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
0: We have to reclaim Ahlul Bayt. And this concept of reclaiming is prophetic because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi reclaimed Sidna Musa.
1: Ahlul Bayt belongs to all Muslims. So Ahlul Bayt is not just a uh, Shia thing.
2: Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman War podcast. Salim here with the full house today. I'm joined by my co-host uh, Irfan. Hey, assalamu alaikum salam. Wa alaikum And it's our pleasure to introduce our, our two guests um, together on the same podcast. Uh, Imam Dawood Waleed. Assalamu alaikum Imam Dawood. Wa alaikum assalam. Rahmatullah wa barakatuh. And Sheikh Hassan Al-Achab here as well. Assalamu alaikum. Wa
0: and Irfan And Sheikh Waleed. Very nice to be among you. Alhamdulillah. That's my pleasure.
2: So this is quite unprecedented um, collection, uh, usually our, our podcast, we're not able to get four of us together, but um, this is actually uh, apropos because it's a very Im- important but underserved topic of Ahlul Bayt, the, the, the prophetic family, the family of the Prophet Wasallam. The idea of this podcast came about uh, when we were talking uh, with you, Imam Dawood, about um, your new book, uh, which is um, the second, the, the sequel. I guess I'll call it the sequel to your previous book about centering black narrative, and this sequel is called centering black narrative, uh, Ahl al blackness in Africa. So, I guess to start us off, um, let's talk a little bit about your book, and then uh, then you know we can talk about that, and then we can continue the discussion about Ahl al
1: Bismillah uh, Rahmer Rahim Mahamdulillah Balameen Allah Masali Ale Syidina Muhammad al Fathilima Urlik Wahlima Sabak Nasubil Hakbil Haq, What Hadi Ilasortakumustakim Wale Alihi Hakan Kurdi Mukhar Lodim. first it's a pleasure to be on uh Iman wire on this podcast again. Uh, the uh, sequel that uh my uh brother and co author uh, Sidi Ah Mubarak uh wrote um from centering black narrative, black Muslim nobles amongst early pious Muslims is uh, titled "Centering Black Narrative: Ahlul Bayt Blackness in Africa," and we felt the uh, the need to uh, write this book uh, regarding centering black narrative and Ahlul Bayt for a couple of reasons. One is to continue with the original purpose of why we wrote uh, volume one of centering black narrative, which uh, in terms of highlighting. Um, pious uh, Muslims who were black from the early generations of Muslims, uh, to deal with the issue of the uh, lack of information uh, relating to uh, Muslims who would be considered black phenotypically today, uh, some of the whitewashing of the earlier uh, campaigns and how they're described and even how they've been depicted in certain movies. Uh, but also to address the issue of anti black racism that uh, exists within. Uh, the Muslim community. So uh, this was one uh, reason why we wrote a sequel, Centering Black Narrative, Ahlul Blackness in Africa. The second is that uh, we believe that the issue uh, of Ahlul and its importance uh, amongst Muslims, and we're saying specifically amongst the uh, Muslims who call themselves the people of the Sunnah, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jamaa, that there has been a type of... Uh, watering down or even a marginalizing of Ahlul Bayt in, in the discourse, uh, in our muhadarat and our in and, and khutb, and even uh, when uh, the discussions of Ahlul Bayt and their importance is seen by many Muslims as not being a Sunni thing but being a Shi'i thing. So we wanted to uh, write this and highlight some of these uh, noble uh, personalities. First Talking about the importance of Ahlul Bayt in the opening of the book, but then focusing on some noble personalities from, from Ahlul Bayt, uh, males and females, um, to uh, reintroduce to Muslims their, their highest spiritual stations and that Ahlul Bayt belongs to all Muslims. So Ahlul Bayt is not just a uh, so called uh, Shia thing.
3: So that's a great uh, kind of start point to the, a quick, quick question. I want to bring in Sheikh Hassan on this as well uh, to get your thoughts. I know that Sheikh Hassan uh, myself have had this, these discussions in the past. Uh, we talked about the marginalization or... Um, maybe the watering down, as Dawood put it, of the aaba a narrative really within the Sunni tradition. Although you may find things in books as far as emphasizing or at least even topically bringing them up, there seems to be a phobia at times uh, in the Sunni community to do so. And I think we've talked about this and wanted to get your take on for our listeners on what your thoughts on why that is? What are the historic, maybe spiritual, And maybe obviously political reasons why uh, Ahl al-Sunnah, in a more general sense, and obviously there's exceptions to this rule, but in a more general sense, has allowed for the kind of uh, um, this type of ignoring of our history when it comes to Ahl al-Bayt.
0: Indeed, there has been a there has been a, to say the least, a neglect to the legacy of Ahl al-Bayt, and that's why one of the one of the Yemeni scholars in the 60s. Ibn Aqeel al-Hadrami rahmatullah ta'ala alayhi, he had written Al-Atbul Jameel, al Jameel ala Ahl al-Hadith, and so, so he brought, uh, I forgot the, the full title of the hadith, of the book. Um, but he, he brings all of this, he brings all of this, uh, uh biographies from Imam Zahabi and for all the biographical work and how they were unjust to al bayt and they were short, extremely short on al bayt and how they were elevating some of their enemies in ways that you cannot imagine. Um, I think that the, 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 we have to be very we have to be very careful here not to not to generalize the status of Al-Bait in a place, for example, in the peripheries of of the Muslim domain, if you will, mm-hmm. in India, in. In uh, in Southern Africa, in Morocco, in right. Andalus, has always been great. Why? Because the Muslim, because al bayt had ran ran away from the persecutions on the center. So we we think that the calamity of al Hussein is the only calamity that happened. No, no. They, oh my goodness, that was just one of many, many, and systematic, right? But more important more important is that there was at the beginning of Islam, it, at the beginning, especially after the passing of Sidna Ali, and after the passing of al Hassan, and after the pass and after the hegemony of falsehood, I call it the hegemony of falsehood. Um, the hegemony of falsehood is when when the Umayyad took over and they stifled the Ummah. Mm. Part of what they did, part of the declin the the, the the degradation of the deen on the hands of the Umayyad. And we can talk about this another time because it's it's documented and it's clear. The Prophet ﷺ said that. He said, The demise of my ummah will be on the hands of few fools, few fool kids from Banu Umayyah, from Quraysh. Right? From Banu, from Quraysh. And Sidna Zaid, Sidna Safina radiallahu ta'ala used to say these are Banu Umayyah. Sidna Safina is the is the is the Servant of the Prophet, الصلاة, Allah, he said, There's a Banu Umayyah, I have no doubt about that, right? So, yeah. That's that, what he used to say. And there's also a hadith that basically he said that the first to change my sunnah yeah. would be a person from Banu Umayyah. Absolutely. So there are tons there are tons of, of hadith like this, and Sahaba right. knew that. The Sahaba knew, knew all of this, right? right? They were instructed by the Prophet الصلاة, <laughs> not to increase the, the fitna and so on and so forth, but they worked so hard to change the landmark of islam and a lot a lot, of, a lot of things in in islam and starting from the prayer starting from hajj starting from uh, and the status of al-bayt so imam ibn Abdul al had almost 13 to 14 pages in uh in uh, in al uh, al ال- 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 وال- وال- الأس- and so he mentioned 13 first pages explaining the hadith of Sha'ab ibn al the first hadith of al ibn Malik, and he devoted 13 pages to talk about how the Umayyad early on mm-hmm. Or deliberately delay the prayers until the time of the prayers goes, goes away. And they would prevent people from coming out of the masjid until they pray the prayer that is so delayed. Ibn Sirin narrated in the hadith in the Sahih that he used to say, he said, I stayed in the masjid, I prayed dhuhr in my house and I came to pray jumu'ah with them. And they delayed the prayer until until the sun became so yellow. Asr time. Way after, close to Maghrib, And then the king came in, I would not mention his names, and he said, I wanted to go out because it was so, so bad. Yeah. And... I had to injure my hand, I, I had to injure my hand to say to the, to the guards who are at the door, preventing people from coming out, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, and I came out and the, the lashes are taking my head, are taking my, are, are, are whipping my, my back. So prayer, fasting, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, this is Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Taymiyyah is an Umayyad, he mentions that the reason why the dome of the rock was built Mm. He mentions, right? Whether it's true or not, but he mentions, right? That the, the, the it's because because Al uh, Hakam, isn't he? No, it was Marwan Abdel- al Hakam. Marwan. It was, it was Abd al Malik. Uh, Abd al Malik ibn Marwan. Because well, Abd al Malik ibn Marwan, right. at that time, people could not, you know, he could not make Hajj and he wants to make people go back to Hajj in the, in the. In the uh, To Jerusalem Go to Hazz for Jerusalem So he made this Beautiful house And so Why? Because at that time Abdullah ibn Zubair Was the emir Absolutely And was the Khalifa right. That has been chosen By the people of Mecca and Medina And his capital Was, was Mecca So time. just to kind of so b- Backtrack for folks one, one thing Yeah go ahead One thing So part of this Degradation of the deen Was the degradation Of al Right Right So Sidna Ali Used to be insulted Under the manabe Of all the Muslim world At that time And the Muslim, music, Muslim world Was expanding was insulted on every single Jumu'ah. we have it in sahih muslim Sidna sa'id bin sa'id bin abi waqas came in to the came in to visit one of the kings right the, the, one of the first kings of, of of the umayyad and he asked him yeah aba, yeah, aba i forgot yeah, aba, i forgot the nickname of Sidna sa'id sa'id bin abi waqas but he said oh sa'id why don't you insult aba Turab? why don't you insult him he said you know, why, why do you want me to insult somebody that I heard the Prophet ﷺ praising? Yeah. Right? So now, you, you could see that part of the, for, you know, the hegemony of falsehood, tribalism coming back, legitimation of the of, of a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. And the the status of the, the Beit Al-Mal was taken to be an ownership of those kings, and part of that degradation was... The breaking of the status of al as the people who carries the clarity of the deen. So just further, some of our, our, our audience is probably vast. So some of them
3: have knowledge of these things, some of them are hearing this for the first time and may be shocked. So I think part of it also is to kind of mainline some of that. So the work that the Sheikh uh, had quoted in the beginning from the famous Hadith scholar of Al-Andalus and the Maghreb, Ibn Abd al-Bar, is a commentary on the Muwatta, I believe. It also it has a critique of the Senate or the chains of narrators within it.
1: Uh Also the and Sheikh- And a great scholar from the Madhub Maliki. So he's yeah, a Sunni scholar, he also <laughs> Yeah, yeah that. very Sunni, Sunni scholar. Sunni Scholar.
3: Everyone that we've mentioned so far has been a Sunni scholar. So the other side of it also is some of these historical events people may not be aware that the Haram in Mecca in the Hejaz post the revolution of Sayyidina Hussein or, or post the uh, the calamity of what happened in Karbala was then occupied by a a dual caliphate, if you will, of Ibn uh, Ibn Azubair. So the caliph of the of the Umayyad line, uh, like Abd al malik sought to kind yeah. of um <laughs> Bring revenue, really. I mean, bring revenue and also keep pilgrims, in some sense, away from Mecca. uh, And that then became uh, a new place, which is the Dome of the Rock, which is the oldest living, I suppose, architectural monument in, in the Islamic world. But it should be known of what it is and where it came from. That's not to negate the spiritual... Significance of Masjid al-Aqsa, which is a separate uh, building in the same area, which oftentimes Muslims confuse themselves as well.
1: Well, well let me also interject in this, in this history. Also, you mentioned the uh Layb Zubayr, the Sahabi, um, that also one of these Umayyad kings uh, attacked him and his partisans uh, at al Haram and actually burned down the Kaaba. So, like this is what this is what we're talking about. What had came in. Uh, not too long decades after the 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 passing of the prophet salaam and the type of uh uh treachery really that that entered into the into the ummah
3: so where I want to go now is actually a very famous academic when I was in my Younger days. I know I, I still look young, Salim, I think. Yeah, you do. You're right. but I'm love. about 40, so everyone's <laughs> thinking I'm like 25. You know. So it's actually an interesting feeling to be looking young, but not young. But he mentioned Hamid Algar, and I haven't heard that name in a while. And I used to listen to Hamid Algar's lectures like almost like religiously, really. But he has a great uh, you know, academic mind from like UC Berkeley. Uh, he's someone who's kind of transcended some of these Sunni-Shii debates or maybe caused some of these debates as well in his own time. Uh, but one of his uh, his his outputs, I remember uh, like listening to one of his uh, his academic lectures at, at Berkeley, and he mentioned um, you know the history of blackness within Ahl al Bayt. And one of the things he mentioned is that you know we oftentimes even in the Persian world you'll see these images of Ahl al Bayt, uh, even the Prophet to some extent. But for sure you'll see some Im- imagery of Sayyidina Hussein and these types of things. And obviously there's a scholarly debate to be had about imagery. But one of the things in these icons is that. They're very pale skin. And so his argument was that if they, these people who are supposedly waiting for a descendant of the Prophet to be their guided one. This is the Mahdi, which all Muslims believe in. And we all believe that it's going to be from the offspring of Fatima Some people say Sayyidina Hussein, obviously, and some people say Sayyidina Hassan. But what's interesting is that he brings up the point like, if you look at the line of Sayyidina Hussein and how many African women that the Imams were married to and how many of them were actually of dark complexion, which is also mentioned by Imam Ghazali in his ehya, it's very interesting. Uh, because, you know, he said, like, you know, like, what if the Mahdi comes that they, they wouldn't recognize them based on their skin, because you have such a, a prejudice culturally now in parts of the Muslim world, not to single out, uh, you know, like Persian culture, but in South Asian culture or anywhere, really. And so it's a very interesting phenomena. So what were the issues that you were dealing with, uh, like, you know, when you're writing this book, to, like, Walid, and you're trying to talk about a modern concept of blackness, right? And you're, you have, you're focusing on this, on kind of not reinventing the narrative, but re- Shaping that narrative, you're talking about a pre-modern world where maybe blackness meant something different.
1: That's correct, and uh, we address this in 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 book one. We don't spend much time on this in book two, uh, regarding that question you raised right there. So uh, there is the issue first of black and how it was used in by the Arabs in the time of the Prophet sallallahu which is different than how we understand things now, like. Uh, blackness in the West is basically a racial construct. So uh, I'm considered black as a racial identity, uh, though in the Arabic language I would not be considered at that time to be literally like aswadulaun, like my skin is not aswadulaun, right? It's not like black skin. Mine would be more closer to asmar uh, um, mu'tadil uh, where I'd be like considered to be lighter brown skin, right? Uh, so, but blackness at that time also uh, was vis-a-vis a relationship between a certain part of the world, uh, contrast to another part of the world, but it didn't necessarily mean positive or negative connotations. So we made reference to this, for instance, by uh, Ibn Manzur in, in the Sun al-Arab and he uh, mentions this as well as Imam An-Nawawi mentions this as well as, uh, regarding to his uh, commentary on the hadith that uh, that uh, the the Arab has no superiority over the non-Arab nor does the non-Arab have superiority over the Arab and the black has no superiority over the ahmar literally red and the ahmar has no superiority over the aswad illa taqwa ahmar at that time was to be understood primarily as people from uh, Persia and the Byzantine Empire, right? And Aswad at that time was more associated with the Ahbash or people of greater Habasha at that time, which meant Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, and Somalia today. And also uh, the Arab itself was considered to be part of blackness because Ibn Mandur also mentioned that Arabs were primarily known to be a summer wa udma right or so uh, brown and dark brown in skin color right so also uh, Arabs back then as there are Arabs now uh, have hair that is jad right that means kinky right so my hair is like mildly kinky, but like jad jidden, like very kinky, like how you'd have people in in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and we see this in the, the biographies of some of the imams from the Husseini lineage of Ahlul Bayt, which we wrote about in this book. For instance, Imam Jaffa is sadiq he is described as having hair as jad and skin color around my skin color. Then when you look at the wives of who these imams married, the imams then began to be darker, based upon who they married. So, Jafar al sadiq married a an Amazigh woman, or some say a uh, Berberia, but you know. But the Amazigh uh, woman who was considered, who was described as being black in skin, her name was Hamida, right? Hamida, um, may Allah be pleased with her. Okay. Then you have when you look at Musa al-Khawthm, like his son is described as being black. He was actually mocked because of his dark skin. Yeah, are you
3: talking about <laughs> and, Imam Ali Rida? Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, and
1: then uh, and then uh, Imam Musa al-Kadhim died in the uh, in, in the jail through poison by Harun al-Abbasi, and he gave himself that title al-Rashid. Also understanding that the Abbasi'een, they gave themselves these lofty titles like Mahmoun and al-Rashid. That weren't their real names. They gave themselves these lofty titles, right? But Imam Ali al-Rida, and he married a black woman, so Muhammad al-Jawad right. uh, was his mother. So the you see, um, and even going later on into Hyderumalt uh, um Area later on with the, the Husseini lineage that went there through uh, Ahmed uh, uh, al Muhajir, Imam Ahmed al Muhajir, uh Al uh, uh, Jahid wrote about this, and in, uh, in, this can be seen in his, in his uh, uh, rasa'il, in his collection of, of letters and treatises, where he said that it was known that uh, the uh, men of Basra had more desire from the women of Al-Hind, which means South Asia, basically. He says, but the men of Yemen, including the, the Bani Hashim, they had desire the strongest for Habashiat. This was known to be the case uh, in El Jah. It was somewhat of a historical, contemporary of Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, right? So we're talking about 250 years after uh, Hijra. And then he said, and the uh, the men of Sham, they had desire strongest for women from Arum, for basically white women, right? Yeah, so, right. Uh, but but the point is, there were <laughs> but the point is Still that, but the point is, I mean, you know, everyone has, is tough to their taste, but the point is that it was known that in those early times right. that there were, uh uh, imams and scholars, men from Hashem Ahloubet, and they had children by uh, black women. And many of those imams and scholars uh, would look phenotypically like any African-American walking around Harlem or Knoxville, Tennessee, where our Sheikh is from, or, <laughs> or, 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 or walking around the west side of Detroit, where, where I'm at. So what's interesting is also I
3: mentioned maybe the story from Imam Ghazali. He mentions a story about Imam Ali Rida, and this is a very telling story about the kind of racism that Imam Ali Rida is facing, but also from the textual perspective. It's in the book of Imam Ghazali in the Ahiyah on disciplining the soul between the two desires, which has been translated wonderfully by our shaykh, Abdul Hakim, like Murad. And um, in there, there's a narration that a man goes into a bathhouse, and it's, it's shown as being an example of the humility that Imam Ali Rida had this uh, son, if you will, of the progeny of Imam Hussein, who's living at this time in Persia um, and who eventually is poisoned. He's promised the caliphate under Memun and through kind of social revolts, let's say. Uh, which even wrapped up the forefathers of Imam Tahawi, for example. Yes. Uh, that was changed in terms of policy. So he was poisoned in the city of Tuz, which is now known as, as Mashhad, or E-Mashad. Uh, you know. So Tuz is a v- nearby village. Anyways, in that area, he's in this bathhouse, and um, a man comes in, thinks he's the the guy who's working it, or the slave who's working in the bathhouse, and throws all his dirty linens upon him. Uh, another man sees this and is shocked, and the man just walks out the bathhouse. You know, he's leaving for the day. And the guy was like, do you know who you just threw all all your dirty linens on? And he's like, no. He's like, that's Imam Ali Rida. And the man profusely apologizes. What's more interesting, not that that display of racism is not that interesting, but I think what's even more interesting in the history, as you all know, uh, Iran was predominantly Sunni until the Safavid Empire. The Safavid Empire was also itself a Sunni empire. They were a Sunni uh, group, uh, but eventually became Shi'i through their understanding of how they could utilize religion for politics. And so that's a historical fact. And if people want to debate that on the comments go ahead but uh the reality of the situation is that it was interesting a later scholar who i love as well Mulla al Kashani, who was also enamored by the works of the of imam ghazali but he wanted to Shi'ify them so he wanted to take away certain narrations put in narrations from Al hellebayt but when he saw that narration in that part of the Ahia, he decided not to put it in there at all and it shows that maybe there's a cognizance of keeping a certain imagery of our sacred figures so on one level both sides of the coin, in my view, are not being completely honest with their history. They're not being honest with the reality of what, who these Imams were, and they're not being honest with some of the more uh, details of their lives. And it could be, and, I'm, and you can jump into it. Uh, well,
1: we, we face this criticism in certain black narrative, black Muslim nobles among the early pious Muslims, because the first personality we mentioned was Sayyidun Ali, uh, because he's described in Sunni books, um, uh, Twelver books, Zaidi books, and even Faltimia Ismaili books, he's all described in narrations as Kana Adam Shadidu Udmah, right? He's described as being this like Adam in Arabic means like basically dark brown, and then Shadidu Udma is, is, is it's an intensifier, uh, Udmah is a masdar, right? So it, it's basically saying that he, Sayyiduna Ali was the color of like dark chocolate, this was the color of Sayyidina Ali, who's he's, he's the he's the Imam of Ahlul Bayt after after the Prophet sallallahu right. wasallam, and uh and it's in it's in like Bihar and War and twelve books. But they said, oh, uh, I had some. We were speaking at the University of Michigan, uh, Doctor Bilal Ware. We had a book talk on my book, and there were some um, Shia brothers and sisters that were there from uh, from Lebanon, and they were saying, well, you know, this is Bani you know this was Bani Umayyah trying to insult uh, Imam Ali by calling him black, similar to like how this Imam right, yeah. Ali or was white watch. I said, number one, it only be considered an insult if you have a problem with black skin, number one. I said, but number two, this doesn't even make sense as an insult because Marwan Ibn al-Hakim, who hated Sayyiduna Ali, himself is described dark, yeah. as being dark. Absolutely. So why would Bani Umeya use a sifa of themselves to uh, ridicule and yeah. insult Sayyiduna Ali? But So it really shows uh, in this, these depictions of the... 12 imams of Ehl bayt according to Ithna Ashari uh, belief and how they've whitewashed them, Really, it it really reminds me of how the whitewashing of Isaleh Salam yeah, yeah. and what the Byzantine Empire and what the Romans did with having Isaleh Salam looking like you know a, a, a blonde hair, <laughs> right. blue eyed Scandinavian. You know right. they they've done the exact same thing with those imams.
3: And it's also be telling that in Muslim society, I mean, look, all of us know Asli Arabs, there are many that are of dark complexion. This is a reality even today. Yes, you go to Yemen, you go to parts of the, uh, the Arabian Peninsula, so you are going to see that. So we're not saying that these are necessary people who are African kin per se, but there is no doubt that there is darkness in their complexion, even from their own geographic areas that they're from. But I think also what's even more telling is that how Muslim civilization advanced in the lives of the imam, because when Imam Ali does there, you're already in the classical age. You've already become, from an agrarian society, you become more cosmopolitan. And so these notions of race are probably more prominent because you're interacting with different races and that's why you mentioned an, another scholar but al-Jahiz for example al-Jahiz is famous for writing a pro-black track essentially back in the day and you know it's probably I don't know the only example I know but al-Jahiz is known as being this person of adab which is a man of letters yes and he's written a very you know interesting work and he also was a also a lover of Sayyidina you know so he also has works on that too not to endorse everything that Jahiz wrote because some of it could be problematic just from a moral perspective but I think it's interesting to note that. And So there's a historical background, and maybe your next book may tackle this issue, but the famous rebellion of the Zenj, which is also something that Muslims may not be fully aware of and its social consequences throughout the Muslim Ummah at that time. Um, So as you look at these projects, what I was wondering is, how do you see there as being a corrective historically? Maybe I'll bring a Sheikh Hassan on this as well. So Sheikh Hassan, how do you think as Sunnis and obviously in America, we have our Shi'i brothers as a minority. But obviously right now, more than anything else, I think we all want to underscore civility in our discourse. I think, alhamdulillah, we've escaped some of the issues they have even in Europe, but also obviously overseas when we come to the shii Sunni divide. But how do you think there's a corrective? And is the onus on us? You know, we talk a lot about white privilege and Deconstructing this, you know, like you know, things like patriarchy, but yet we don't talk about the hege- the kind of hegemony of Sunniism and maybe there's Sunni privilege that we have the right to just say, oh, actually, you know, that 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 person's not this or not that. And we, and as we heard from Dawood, it happens also in the Shia community as well. But is there an opportunity here for all of us to think about this in a more honest, objective sense to be corrective? And if so what are the means for us to do so
2: and also to, to, to add on to Erfan's question there's also this this question of ownership right of that mm-hmm. you know only is one group can talk about Ahlbayt and only one group can talk about you know the Sahaba or you know vice versa so that's all you know, it's like, you know, you no, you don't have a right to talk about it. if you're a Sunni, for example, some people may say, you don't have a right to talk about Ahlbayt. Or a Sunni if you talk about Ahlbayt, no, you're you can't talk about Albayt, then you must that must make you Shia, right? Yeah. So there's that's whole love there's all these complicated layers of uh, you know these the, this group of the Ahlbayt and how we view and discuss them
0: you know subhanAllah, you know you know most of our understanding of the shia Sunni um relationship are constructed through Crises, you know. What I mean, a crisis after crisis after crisis, and the latest among them is the crisis in Middle East, the revolution of Iran, and then most, and then there was there was the counter attack, if you will, intellectual one, from Saudi Arabia and leading quote unquote the Sunni, um, the Sunni, um, camp to to eradicate every single thing that is Shia, uh, and it and it borders ridiculousness in in some of its right. reaction. At the same time, one should not be um, idealistic in ways that are that are that are dreaming. Um, there are serious issues. Yes, you know, alhamdulillah, we, we have avoided a lot of um, a lot of calamities that's going on in 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 the Middle East or or in Europe, for example, and so. But but at the same time, we have to we we have to be realistic. Um, from the Sunni side there are two important things that should that should have that should have i mean when we say about the sunni side and we lump everybody in the in the same in the same basket like all the sunnis have the same uh, views of Alidates. I would say that that's not that's not true. Uh, as I said, in Morocco there are the lineages of Alidates have been preserved more than any any other places. They've been they've been ruling. They've been ruling um, for many many dynasties, starting from the first dynasty that ruled Morocco in Andalus. There are Marathi of sidan hussein in Andalus. Uh, uh, eulogies of sidan hussein in and Andalus. Celebration of sidan hussein passing in Andalus. From with the Sunnis, this is not Shiites, and we have tons of those. A lot of them. Some of the great um, Poets like if not abbar like and so they were not shi'as, but they're written extensively on the on Sidna al hussein One of the great scholars of uh, Sunnah al jamaah had considered Sidna Ali to be the wasi You find it in the in the letters that they used to send to the Prophet ibn wa Abil mentioned Sidna Ali as the wasi So there was a culture of vener- venerating, elevating Al-Bayt, and in a very social way, in a very political way, in a very real way. I mean it's not just it's not just you know in a very spiritual way, in a very real way. They were centralized. And they were they were at the center of the religiosity of the people of the Maghrib. That's, that's, that's documented again and again. Um, I, wrote, I wrote a chapter about it in, in my dissertation. Um, so have, so that, that, that shows that the Sunni view is not, you know, the, the love of Al-Bayt, even though it did not really, uh, it did not really w- was represented in the high academic level, but on the popular level, it survived, and it survived with the Sophies, and it survived, with it survived, you know, um, the lineages and their respect, and so it survived, and then time to time it would come up on a scholarly level, and so in Morocco, it's always there, it has never been there been outside, but the idea that I wanted to mention in here is the following. Um, we have to reclaim al bit. And this concept of reclaiming is prophetic because the Prophet of Allah wa reclaimed Sidna Musa. The Prophet of Allah Subhanahu said, "Musa is mine. It's not anybody else. It's, it is mine. I'm worthier of Sidna Musa than anybody else." Um, you know, the Prophet Allah wa claimed Sidna Salman al farisi This is Salmanu minna al bayt and he said Salman is one of us al-Bait. So, the process of of uh, Reclaiming al Al-Bayt does not mean that we have to uh, that we have to do something different. To be honest with you, that we have to do something um, like tragic in our religion. You know what I mean? <laughs> the concept of reclaiming al Al-Bayt, Let's go back to our source and be acquainted with them. There <laughs> are hadith in Muslim, hadith Nazid bin Islam, There are hadith in Nariz Ibn jabir Ali, about the centrality of al Al-Bayt in our understanding. And let's let's make sure that we. That we talk about them. Let's make sure that we venerate them. Let's make sure that what, what does our tradition have in that regard? Like in places like South, in places like Sub Saharan, you know, countries or, or like, or Muslim, Muslim, Muslim civilization or in, in, in in the Maghreb in general or in India, for example, right? So let's see what those traditions had and let's 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 build upon them let's build upon them let's let's look for the lineages let's celebrate them let's look after their biographies let's centralize their understanding of islam at a moment where everybody is at a moment where everybody is looking for precedents for freedom fighters and we look for che guevara and we look for N- N- nelson mandela and we look for uh, and so on and so forth we have siddan hussein as a model we have siddan hussein as somebody who hated injustice and want to stand up for that, She's ra- that which is what she was wrong, and every single thing that was wrong with the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ at that time. And he was willing, radiallahu ta'ala, to actually give his life for that and the lives of his, of his family. So we, we have to revive that. So, not just to, in a very venerating spiritual way, but in a real way, in the sense that, look, we have to stand up. We have to be um, just like the Qa'imin of Ahl al Bayt, of, of those who rise, that who those who rose from the family of the Prophet Make them our ancestors in freedom fighting and in freedom fighting in the sense that we're not going to take you know arms and kill people just to make sure that people understand. But it's being that. people who are witnesses to truth, like Shaheed, in the, the, the exactly. true sense of the word, the shahid. Exactly, shahid, al qist. Right, this exactly, you know, witnesses, uh, justifiers, and witnesses of the truth. And willing to pay the price for it, and willing to do whatever it takes for it, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ called him Sayyidu Shabab bi Jannah, one of the greatest masters of the the youth in Jannah, because not just because of the blood running in their in their veins, but because of their understanding of the Deen. They were the people who stood to stop the the hegemony of falsehood from 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 taking over quickly. And and they reverberated throughout the history. Everybody who stood up to, against injustices will call on al H- Hussein's experience and uh, and the risers from al So this is this is something that we have to introduce to uh, to, to, to the Sunni understanding because the Sunnis has been quite quietist and denigrated and looked down to the experience of Sidna Hussein and al in that regard. Right. So you find Ibn Arabi, for example, Ibn Arabi al maafiri and in the biggest in the in the fullest version of uh, of uh, um um lambs lana muhammad um the book in we talks about al 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 min al qawasim um, yeah yeah al min al qawasim and the fullest version not not a muhibbuddin al khatib one no, no, no the first version and and he really he said yazid was a right yeah, he went so far into that yeah, other side so, of it. he, he was said
1: so, no. Hussein was killed by the sword of But of, his of his, i didn't
0: want to say that.
1: But <laughs> <so he> said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> "I didn't
3: want
0: to. I didn't want to mention that." You know? And so, but, for the audience know,
3: members, this is a scholar who's also highly respected within the Maliki school, but also as a Hadith scholar. But anyway, you know, Hadith scholars and theologian. And, yeah. you know. So it's also understanding that there are people who have centuries later taken different like positions and have different reasonings for taking
0: those well, positions. Definitely, when we have people in our in our Hadiths in in the in the narrators. From, the, from the, our canonical books Who clearly stated Uthman ibn Hurayz For example Said I hate Ali Right I hate Ali Right Yes Like, in, Can you imagine somebody The Prophet said He told Ali Only a believer will love you And only a hypocrite would would hate you And he said How would I love Ali While he, when, while he killed my my ancestors in Safin Yeah Right so, And you find people like that Who call themselves You know Sunnis what can, so look uh, the, Imam Zahabi was very pious. rahmatullah When he talks about certain, you know, Jews, Zani or those uh, a lot of those who hated Al-Bait, آل like really, they 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 denigrated Al-Bait آل in ways that you cannot imagine. Mutimia, uh, you know, in 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 minhaj mm. sunnah you know. Clearly, looked at Sidna Ali and said like, well, إذ ال, إذ ال, إذ He said he was not the, the greatest in judgeship because judgeship necessitates ilm and he was not great in ilm. And you look at him, he was, the least you could say, he was unseemly. It was, he was disrespectful to Sidna Ali and to Sidha Fatima in ways that he cannot imagine. And I counted those, there are at least 30, I, I had them and I brought them out of the book and I, and I, and I, and I oh, had them in separate. Tim, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, where is this coming from? People, you know, I'm not sure where I read this, but they say that people in Harran, close to Damascus, they, use, they were insulting Sidna Ali for a very long time until the 6th century. Yes. Can, Even far know, longer than the right? Umayyad so dynasty. The, the only one who stopped the bad tradition is Sidna Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. He yeah. stood up to, to, give, to deliver his sermon, his first sermon, and he did not insult Sidna Ali. So people raised... People start calling a sunnah sunnah amir. What is the sunnah? What is the sunnah? So they made insulting Sidna Ali a Sunnah. Yeah. Right? And he said, Awdbillah Sati Sunnah innah al bida inna lahaya murbil and this is the moment where we introduced this verse at the end of the khutbah. It right. was not the Prophet, who did it It was Sidna Amar ibn Abdul Aziz, who replaced the insulting of Sidna Ali with, with that. So we have to be aware not to create this emotional um emotional reaction, right? And not to create this emotional hatred towards ourselves and towards our history, but to be aware that our history is not always great. Yeah, so for and the audience
3: is, members may not be aware, so for 60 years at least, if yeah. not longer, the cursing of Sayyidina Ali and the Ahlabaith was part and parcel of every Jummah prayer you would go through yeah. in the Umayyad Empire.
0: Yeah. So the idea in here is that we have to be careful. We have to be we have to be aware of of why, you know, talking about al-bayt in a conference for example will get yeah. people to raise their antennas and think that you are Shia <laughs> the reality is that yes we have to, you know we celebrated we celebrate the aim of the madahib and all of them were students of al-bayt yeah imam you know, abu hanifa imam Hanifah. shafi'i oh, yeah, exactly. imam shafi'i used to be called you know who was about to be killed in front of harun al-abbasi because of because he was he was about to be killed because he was right? pro he was pro he was, pro, he yeah. was pro, right yeah. and and so on and many of uh, many of the the the, 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 the صحاب, i mean the, the scholars of the madahib on the founders There were students imam Malik was the students of sidna sidna jafar al-jafar studied kunna na'ti ila jafar ibn muhammad wa kana kathiran du'aba hadith from watha right and so on and so forth you know imam imam abu hanifa the beginning with sidna with sidna sadiq and talking to him and so and, and try and so on so we have tons of the, we have tons of encounters like this in the show that the early generation had no problem with that in right. fact the early generation was pro al al bait sufyan Thawri sufyan al basri hasan al There it is a narration that he says they asked him why do you say an fulan or why do you raise the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ as Ersel in Ersel? Like you don't mention the sahabi. He said anytime that I that I that I uh, Hadith, like I, I, I raise the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ without mentioning who's who give it to me. It is from this man that is hated right now. And we can't talk about his name. Yeah. Right. So who is he talking about? Talking about Sidna yes. Ali. And so on. So there was a concerted effort to eradicate. The contributions of Anadbeids. All right. So and we we keep on doing it right now as well. A lot of people like in the moment you start talking about Sidna'ali, it's like, oh, what about Mu'awiyah? Like, hey, I'm talking about Sidna Ali. <laughs> yeah, that's what mm-hmm. they want to bring up. And right? just to be honest, let's I, just be, I, I just for like,
3: the record, I did not bring his name no, up. But. <laughs> but let's let's be
0: honest, like, yeah, right. let's be very honest in here. How do I compare Sidna? How do yeah. I compare Sidna Ali to Mu'awiyah? How do how do I do it? How, how with what face?
3: With any rational or objectivity, it's very difficult, but yet. I know people who, for example, uh, are, quote-unquote, pro-Ahl-Bayt, who have conferences on, in the South Asian community, for example, on the anniversary of Sayyidina husseins martyrdom. And yet, when a speaker comes to their forum and doesn't say, like, رضي after, like, Muawiyah's name, he's castigated as being no longer Sunni, that he's Shia, no longer invited.
1: Well, unfortunately, a number of our scholars and imams, uh, Imam An-Nasai, rahimahullah, yeah, is actually, actually one of those where he was physically attacked and led to his death because he had written the, the book of Khasas Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ali al Wajah. and right. the people want to know, well, uh, you know, where's your book about Muawiyah?
0: He went to Damascus. Yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah, they told and him, what and is your book about Muawiyah? They, and, they, and,
1: they, and, they, and they attacked him al-Nasai because, you know...
3: <laughs> there's a, there's a tr- <laughs> we were doing another uh, podcast, I don't know how long ago, but we talked about this as well. Like, it often is the case that, and we have to be really honest about our own intellectual history, as rich as it is, as, as amazingly, uh, you know... Um, in the the kind of genius you see in the writings, you also find a lot of this type of dogmatic, um, Unsophisticated attacks that lead oftentimes to physical death. Imam Ash'afy, for example, was probably likely beaten up, and that also led to his death. Uh, maybe some people have the narration that it was people who felt that he had betrayed his teacher, Imam Madik. Uh, you have the situation of Abu Hanifa, who then tells his student, also a friend, Sufi authority, to you know basically run, you know like you know kind of run for it, and he's whipped to death in also in, in prison by some historical narrations. Everyone's well known about the the kind of minhan happened to Imam Ahmed, and that maybe has been escalated. Because of our Sunni orthodoxy Has been very shaped by that But when we look at their lives Of even just the four imams In in the Sunni schools We find that they have also Had to go through many tribulations Many because they were You know, supportive Like Imam Malik was Abu Hanifa Of the rebellion of Muhammad Like Nafzikiyah Which is the uh, the grandson, I believe, of Sayyidina yes. Hassan. So you have all of this happening, and yet the somehow the way to squash these debates is to beat people down. Yeah, and it seems like that's still happening. That like people yeah, feel yeah. beaten down and yeah. they can't talk about it. And I'm sure we're going to get comments on this. But
1: well, and this is Zakia is one of the people that we have in our in, in volume two, by the way.
0: You know, one thing that is extremely important again for the ummah to for the ummah to to really. Um, to cut off with a lot of practices of the past that did not go anywhere, did not get us yeah. anywhere, right? Right. We have to be we have to be critical of our history, but reverently critical, reverently, reverently critical, I like reverently that. critical. All right. So we should not be we should not get into this self-flagellation. It's not, you know, it's it's a it's a psychological reaction to 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 being defeated, right. At the same time. Self-hastulation is uh, kind of an uh, interesting choice of words. Uh, it's true. Uh, you know, I, on I, on I, this I topic.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he did mean it that way, I but know. I just thought that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, you're, you're right, because I think the problem is, that, you know, we just can't talk honestly. Sure. So everyone's, you can be reverential. You can say, you sure. know, you give people their due credit because we didn't live at that time, no doubt about that. But the idea sometimes that I hear from imams, oh, if you bring this up, you're just going to confuse the sure. masses.
0: And the masses are already confused. Sure. The idea is here is that, you know, this is not a topic for a khutbah. This is not a topic that I'm just going to go and then, and then shove it in the throat of people. This is, you know, we have to build an awareness. We have to talk about it from a very positive way. Let's talk about the attributes of Adilbayt and the merits of Adilbayt in the books of our hadith. Or in right? the Quran, for example. And in the Quran, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't ask you any reward for conveying the message to you, except that you take care of my family. And we have to know if we really took care of the family of the Prophet and Boy, we didn't. Yes. Right. So the idea in here is not to create emotions that are negative. It's to create, you know, to create a sense of, um, you know, every history is like that. So we want, we tend to think that our history is for some reason, way different than, than human history. Or other no, prophetic no, history. I, no, look, listen, hmm. you know, our history is just like any other human history. Right. Our scholarship, nobody could have ruled without co-opting scholarship, right? Yeah. And our scholarship and our academia and our scholastics did not grow up. Our religious religious studies and religious subjects and all of that did not grow up in a void, just like in a in a void no they grew up they really were made and constructed and flourished and were and dwindled in environments that are social political economic and they were affected by that don't tell me that you know oh no no you know there is no such thing as you know the divine does not happen in a void it ruptures in the lives of people that are governed by laws economic uh, natural uh, power power construct you know, give and take. And because of that, we have to understand how our how our history was constructed. How is it, how is it that a lot of our sectors of our history are are they are they're, they're there, but they're not centralized. How does orthodoxy make itself? How does it create itself? Who are the makers? Who are the players? Who are and so on. So once we realize that, right, we can start a, a process of fixing, right? Because if you tell me that our history was great and the Abbasid, we just want to go back to the Abbasid. Well, let me tell you how the Abbasid. Oh, we want to go back to just the Andalusian. Let me tell you what the Andalusia was. Mm. So this this really beautiful image that you have in your mind that it was like you know tolerance and this and this and that. This utopia, let me tell you, this utopia right. is wrong. Right. Totally and this wrong. triumphalistic view of Islam, I understand where it's coming from. Right now, I'm finished with this. I Understand where it's coming from. It's coming from the fact that we are defeated right now, extremely defeated in every single angle, and we want to we want to hold on to our history as a bright thing right but we did that for a century right let's let's the the shock of modernity right Mm -hmm. and we did that for a century now and it didn't get, get us anywhere now I think that we should move on from that yes we have to look at the our history in where there is critical and see where we got it wrong yeah or where we should not make those mistakes or things that could not be replicated because time is not the same, right? And part of this is to look at those obscure sides of our history and shed some lights on them in a very reverential, in a very reverential way or rever revering way. I mean, yeah, I like. Right.
3: I like that idea, and I want to pivot right. just to one last comment for uh, for for Sheikh Walid here uh, for for Dawood. So just you know, obviously you know the importance of this and obviously what the Sheikh had just mentioned, that's obviously something that's part of the book that you're you're obviously almost completing here. Yes. But what I wanted to ask was, obviously people will have questions on that. And I, one of the things that always troubles me is that, you know, in our prayer, we always say in prayers upon the Prophet and his family, like Allah, and, you know, we ask Allah to do the same like we did for Abraham and his family. And so there's this link from a prophetic perspective. Have you thought about, and maybe you've already probably spoken about this. Have you thought about looking back beyond, like, before the advent of Islam at the other earlier prophetic figures and maybe correlating this idea of the family line, essentially, but also the idea of also blackness existing in earlier, you know, prophets and messengers as well?
1: Um. Well, in some of our discussions before, we've talked about this both from a... Um from a dhakhiri perspective and a baltani perspective uh, in the sense that uh, when we look at our uh, hadith, um, we can see, for instance, Sayyidina Musa, alayhi he's described as being a black man, okay? I mean, this is this is nothing, when we talk about blackness amongst the prophets, and we can also look at as uh, uh, my f- uh, friend, who I call brother from another mother, Dr. Bilal Ware, uh, he mentions that the majority of the stories in the Quran actually are centered in Africa. If you look at the NBA and you see the stories, the majority of those take place in Africa. I know some people want to act like or paint Egypt as being outside of Africa, but yes, Egypt is in Africa, right? And and the people there who are Nubian, <laughs> you know, uh, b- before a number of different groups of people came and conquered those eras, I mean, they were phenotypically um, uh, African-looking uh, people. But then also, there's nothing to take pride out of either because... The worst person who walked this earth was a black man, was Firaun, right? So that there's nothing to take pride over. But also from the, from a spiritual perspective, we see uh, mirroring of what happened to some of the prophets of old, happening to Ali So So, instance the life of sayyiduna Hussein, we can see a mirroring or likenesses of what happened to sayyiduna yahya alayhi salam. so we can see these mm-hmm. types of mirroring of certain attributes and certain things that took place in the lives of prophets before uh, before the the birth of prophet muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam uh, and with uh, awliyaullah including those who came from ahlul Bayt, we can see certain things that mirrored in their lives that took place with prophets.
0: Yeah, one, one thing that's, JazakAllah Khayyadah, the, the, uh, uh, Sidi Walid. It was beautiful. One thing that we should, we should two things. So the first thing is, I want to just say a few words about taking Sidna al-Hussein and, and the experience of sidna al-Hussein and centralizing that as a model of resistance, as a countercultural at a time where we're forced to, have, to be a counterculture. It's not enough, it's not time for, this is not time for us to, be, it's to, to, to keep on begging for a seat you know, Mm -hmm. close to Trump and close to the media. And so this is the time we align ourselves with the poor and destitute and they are under marginalized and they are the many, right? And the next revolution is going to be about that. It's it's the the issues of wages. It's the issues of the justice system that is completely broken. And we need to be the counterculture. We need to be the counterculture in every single aspect. Right and 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 uh, and that's what I mean to take Sidna, to reclaim Sidna Hussein as a symbol of resistance. Right, that's one, that's one thing. The second thing is that I said we shouldn't be extremely idealistic, talking about this al-taqarub Let's let's be frank. Right? This approaching between the Madahib, the Sunnis and the Shias, it'd been a call from the 80s, probably late late 80s, early 90s, or 90s. It didn't go anywhere, right? Right. It didn't go anywhere. And let's be frank, I'm not going to open my masjid to predatory practices. People are going to come to my masjid and they're going to start fishing. And that's happening a lot. They start fishing, they're making da'wah for Shias in my masjid. No, absolutely not. Right. So the 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 respect that is out there is because there is some type of detachment. Let's keep it that way. If there is any project that we can work on, let's work on, on them. But and because we work with the Christian and we work with the Jews. And yeah, we why work, could with, you work with the Shia. With the Shia. Yeah. Let's you know, like and let's make let's make you know some some rules of conduct. I'm not putting my hand in anybody's hand who insults the Aisha, period. Absolutely not. There is no way I'm gonna sit with somebody who insults the Aisha. I'm sorry. There is no way I was going to come to my mother and say you're a prostitute and I'm gonna just like hey let's 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 have no, absolutely not. I'm not going to put anybody in my hand anybody who insults the Sahaba, no way. So for us to say, you know, let's just like br- break this uh, you know the historical you know this br- historical ice. I think it's extremely idealistic to say that what has been built in 14th century from that animosity and that ice that is extremely solidified over all of these years, it's going to be. It's going to be brushed away. Yeah, you need just to thaw like it out a little bit. You need bit. to thaw it out a little bit. It, it takes two hands to clap. Exactly. So if we have so, corrections
3: to make, there's obviously corrections on the Shia exactly. side as well.
0: People are in America right now, they celebrate the passing of Sida Fatima. Fine, you know, I'm, I'm, you know you're know, you free to do whatever you want. That's fine. But when you say that Sayyidah Omar killed Sayyidah Fatima, I have a problem with that. Yeah. When in when there is no attempt to go to, you know, people are still right now praying in the masjid. They pray. And after they pray, they say, Salamu alaikum," Salamu alaikum." They insult Sayyidah. The curse of Aisha and Hafsa. Like how how do how do I come and sit down with a person like that? I mean, yeah, no, I, I think like, I mean yeah,
2: I mean that's like well you know we have this debate every year you know during the time of Ashura right so like you know you have people talking about you know the narrations that you know if for the Sunnis who practice who fast for example during Ashura there's going to be like they're going to be resurrected with the likes of. You know, I think Ibn Ziyad and things like Salah that. So, Allah. I mean, but this is the type of you're to your point, Sheikh Hasan. Like, you know, there's obviously going to be these differences between these two communities. From from a Sunni perspective, in sort of restoring this, uh, the rightful place of the Ahl Bayt in our, not just our discourse, but just in our reverence because, and make, not making it an empty reverence, not make, making it something just, just as we don't love the, we love the Prophet sallallahu but it can't be an empty love. There has to be some, some substance to it. For you both, uh, Imam Dawah and Sheikh Hassan, what are your thoughts in restoring this rightful place on the Ahlul Bayt um, from, from both a re- spiritually reverential um, point of view, as well as practically how, how is that love um, manifested in, in our actions today?
1: Well, I can give one example about how we can manifest this in the community. If you look at a collection of some of the fatawa of of Imam As-Suyuti, uh, he narrates that it was Imam Malik's opinion uh, that the most virtuous person in the Ummah after Prophet Muhammad a.s. was Fatima Zahra, right? Yes, yes Imam Malik's opinion. Yeah. The most virtuous in. Aisha, She herself said, uh, and, and said something similar that what Malik said to the point that she said that she saw no one that resembled the mannerisms, the walking and speech of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam more than Fatima Zahra. Uh, Sayyid uh, Shaykh uh, Ahmed atijani uh, he uh, said, and this is his opinion. Uh, Famous for those who, are, who don't know him, he's one of the uh, shiur of the of the uh, Sufia, the great uh, wali. Uh, he said that uh, the the grand uh, qutub or the or the uzma, the, the, the spiritual axiom of the ummah after the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, was Fatima Zahra. So when we talk about the veneration of Fatima Zahra, yes, she was the leader of Haya, of manners. And yes, uh, she she had in her humility and all of these things, uh, she was a a, a great uh, woman. But if we were to take these opinions to see that the virtue of this ummah, and the spiritual station of this Ummah after the Prophet wasallam, was a person from Ahlul Bayt who was a woman, then perhaps this would guide us as men to grant women or open up the proper space for women in the in the American Muslim community or the Muslim community in general, following this love of Ahlul Bayt and following the love of Fatima zahra
3: I think one of the things that's, I mean, going back to Sheikh Hassan's comments as well, yeah, obviously I think the extremes practices in either community would negate a type of like, you know, this kind of like Kumbaya moment, you know, like, but the reality of the situation is I don't think the majority of Shias, uh, is particularly in America would agree with, they may have viewpoints that may not be uh, as respectful, but to, in my mind, and I spent a lot of time in the Shia community because my own ind- individual background and family. But it's interesting just to be around that in, the, in a way that's different because I feel like in a lot of ways, those practices are losing momentum in their own community, just like I think the kind of intolerance in the Sunni community is losing right. momentum. You always find a certain type of Muslim, whether he's a traditional Sunni or traditional Shi'i or the Salafi or a Sufi, who are sometimes reticent of the realities around them. And maybe those people are the people still kind of clinging on to these kind of... Uh, Uh, outdated practices.
1: If I can interject one quick, one thing that many of our brothers and sisters from the Ethna Asheri background, um, I would suggest to make a call for those who are listening, they need to go and search and look into their own tradition as well, in their own books, because if you look at some of the history books of like, of, of the Bui dynasty, that ruled Iraq and Baghdad for a short period of time. Uh, or al Fatimiyah where Shia ruled North Africa and ruled Egypt. I mean, they established Al-Azhar. There are fatwas that were put out in the time of, 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 of al Qadi Al-Nu'man, for instance, a great Fatimi Ismaili scholar in the Bui time as well. Anyone who cursed Aisha uh, Anha, would be subjected to be whipped with 100 lashes. And these were in Shia governments. right? Right. So this whole thing about about cursing the Sahaba is one thing that, that, to declare tough deal of Imam Ali, alayhi salam. It's another thing to curse. Uh, how can you curse your mother? The prophet is, is closer to, to us than ourselves and his wives and the most of the believers. How could you curse your own mother if you say that you're a mu'min or Mukmina? It, it, it doesn't make so any sense. The problem is that it doesn't t- make any sense, right? right? But even in the Shia history, you will see rulings right. where the Shia scholars themselves uh, didn't not only did they not do it they actually gave a head or a punishment for the one who cursed important
3: yeah and most important of all is folks who are familiar with the way that Sunni scholarship works and the way that Shia scholarship may work is that sometimes in the Shia scholarship it's really important what the current scholars are saying yeah. because in the taklida system of the like marja'i a taqli that they have, they follow scholars of the contemporary age and so if you read the current fatawa of Sistani or Khamenei or Shirazi or any of the main uh, ulama of that are the kind of madjja today. All of them have condemned these types of excessive practices within their. Shirazi grit. too. Shirazi condemned it. Shirazi, for the law, for, 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 for sure for the, the, the law. I, I heard love. him with my yes. ears. For in the law,
0: condemned
1: him. The strongest of all. So correct him. Shirazi not. Shirazi
3: I don't. At the same time, and I even hear the.
1: I even hear the twelveers. Call Shirazi an extremist, right? So. Exactly. Sorry, I apologize. I meant
3: to say that. Yeah. So, but the idea that there are voices within their community, but obviously within our community, I think it's the idea that if we think about, I mean, obviously we're here in this podcast, and I know we're about to end the podcast, but it's also interesting to note that like there are very few and far between Sunni scholars today, uh, overseas or here, that are really raising this banner of Bayt, which makes it such a novelty, which makes your book with such a kind of. A, almost courageous act, if you will, right? Because you're bringing a narrative that people are not comfortable with. And also, Sheikh Hassan, obviously the years that we know each other, the comments you make, enlightening people on the early history of Islam. But I think it's just important to know that if we're in this room and we're able to balance out our own faith as Sunnis, then obviously our listeners, whether they're Sunni or Shia, should be able to balance out their views. I think one of the problems is that people will hear these things and, oh my gosh, I never knew this, and then like throw out the baby with the bathwater. And so there's this like knee-jerk reaction. Oh, this is not how it was, then maybe nothing is true, right? So there's this reality that's always been there that, oh, if you start poking holes in the past or you start, you know, you know, creating like a, a weakness in this edifice, then the whole wall will will, will crumble. But, but it's what, just a very false argument. Yeah.
0: But what an insecurity. Yeah, know, like, how no, faith, how, how insecure is your this faith? This beautiful, you know, this beautiful Dean with his it's it's all beautiful you know, well-funded, beautifully funded, beautifully, you know, that gives meaning to millions and gave meanings and to civilizations and all of that and so, is so insecure. Yeah, on both sides, I'd say, like, they're both insecure, but, but, but... but yeah. definitely within the Sunni camp, there's this insecurity. Yeah, we start from a point of history in which we are weak and we, we are weak, and we are we are weak intellectually, and we are we are not a suggestive power anymore. We're not. We're not. We're not. And so, and and because of that, we re- resort to elevation of history and we resort to reclusion. You know, we don't. We want to keep things as they are. We don't want to look at that beautiful history that we build in our mind mm. and find something wrong with it. And I think you know we have. I think you know. You know, intellectually, we have to do it in a very, in a very, in a very beautiful way. We don't want to poke people. We don't want to create in them. You know, yes, we want people to love al little bit, but we don't want to create this, uh, this very angry and. Uh, very angry and uh, angry reaction. Yeah, yeah. To, to, to history in that way. And now there you're was,
3: kind of like this counter resentment. Exactly. Yeah. And we
0: are in we are in a, we have we have we are in a great opportunity, right? We're in a great opportunity. There is a lot of this stuff is still a lot of a lot of this discussion is still organizing or still informing how Islam is practiced in back home and right? back home in, in places like such as you know the Middle East, uh, you know Egypt or Saudi Arabia or you know the Gulf or places like that, right? Iraq and so on, and we don't have to start from where they ended. You know what I mean? We have an opportunity in here yeah. to, to to go back and see what what's going on with all of that, and so and start something that is beautiful, something that doesn't have to yeah to break the cycle. Exactly, it doesn't yeah. have to bring all of those discussions that's really shackled or those way of dealing with that shackled people in there. Like there is, you could look and see that people who have been hit hard with the secularism. Uh, with the secularism um you know process had dealt with they rebuilt their religious uh their religious understanding better i would look at turkey for example right because because of that so you see you go there and you see al al are respected you see them all over you know a celebration of the Ottoman thing and the Ottoman, the Ottoman heritage and they're celebrating ways and so on and so forth in the Sufi gatherings and so on. In um, the nurse's uh, Nurses, Alhamdulillah ta'ala, had uh, such a great reverence to تت البيت and it, for the people who clung to those discussions like in the Middle East they clung to those discussions and never moved out of there they always yeah. they always bring them they're back in it. Yeah, they're and in they it. were used politically and so when you see at a moment where Iran does something you see in all the messages of Morocco they're talking about the Shia Abed, and this and this and that so and I think that we have an opportunity to move out of there we have an opportunity to yeah. start anew, looking at our history but building a very beautiful relationship with al beit look at the look. look at them so, with them. they're always there, they're always in their part of our community. Look at them, give them nasiha, be the best to be the best to them. Just like just like one of the sons of the Prophet ﷺ is with you. What would you do to this person who carries the blood of the Prophet ﷺ? or a person, a veneration? Give them nasiha if they are deviating, give them nasiha if they're not doing well, help them out. Be the, this these are things that that's the Muslim communities in a lot of Muslim communities in the Muslim world had survived they, they preserved their deen with, right? Preserve their deen by caring. For Al-Bayt in that way, and also as I said, the resistance. This is extremely important for us. Let's revive Sayyidina Hussein's. Let's be the. Let's be the counterculture. Let's be the resistance. Inshallah. And,
3: and just one note for Dawood's book. If uh, obviously we overlooked maybe a topic, you're thinking, well, who are Ahl al-Bayt? If you don't know, you got to cop a Dawood's book. Uh, definitely, it's going to be coming out soon. And then also, I'd also recommend folks to check out some previous uh, articles written on Iman Wire. One is Love is a Choice, which gives a Quranic and Hadith perspective on Ahl al Also, was it Principles Over Power, I believe, which mm-hmm. also discusses the yeah. lives of Sayyidina Hussein and Sayyidina Hassan. So definitely do that.
2: Jazakum uh, Thank you, uh, Imam Dawood uh, Sheikh Hassan, for being with us today in a very uh, interesting discussion. And I hope it can, uh, you, know, you know, obviously there's... Uh, this, these type of discussions are to uh, inspire discussions for our listeners in, in their own circles so they can start thinking about these uh, topics uh, thoughtfully and have discussions in their communities. And so we hope that that this can spur that on. Thank you, Rafan, for joining uh, me again on the podcast. Uh, for our listeners, thanks for listening. If you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, please leave a review, share, that, share it with uh, friends and family, subscribe to the podcast. And until then, we'll see you again in the next program. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you of Slonn